Hello, so today I'm going to use an analogy that um, came to me uh, about a year ago when I was doing um, some work on my own career. And uh, I was in the midst of reinventing myself or trying to find what could come next. And this analogy came and it took me a while to um, understand it, but I'm going to share it with you. So in a career, if you compare a career to a spaceship, um, a spaceship for to take off from the ground needs a lot of power, right? It needs an intense firing of engines, a lot of um, uh, fuel, and to com combat the uh, Earth gravity. And so when you see spaceships taking off, you see this huge explosion at the bottom that is really propulsing them into uh, the air. And eventually, when they arrive into the atmosphere, where there's a lot less gravity, what happens is that they um, let go of their tank engine. And the reason they let go of the tank engine is because one, it's empty, and two, it's heavy. And so for a spaceship to go into orbit, they really need to be as light as possible. And so this analogy was that at a point in your career, when you have 15, 20 years of experience, you need to let go of something that bizarrely or paradoxically, I should say, served you to take off. And so this is often what I see people who are, uh, after 20 years of experience, they kind of feel very heavy and they feel like they have experience, they have plenty of experience, they want to share a maximum of their experience to make sure, you know, nothing is lost. But in fact, there is something that is counterintuitive is that sometimes they need to let go of something. And it's counterintuitive because that specific thing that they need to let go is perhaps what served them to get there. So I don't want to sound too, too cryptic, but the idea that came for me, for example, is that I started uh, recruiting, working with clients and working with corporates, and they, it served me. That's how I learned my job. That's what um, you know um, was the core of my career. And I realized that I really wanted to be at the service of my candidates because I found that if candidates were more prepared to interviews, my job as a recruiter would go much faster and the clients would be happier because they would understand better the candidate. And so I've decided that I wanted to spend time with the candidate to prep the candidates as much as possible, make them superstars before they interview in order to, that when they meet recruiters, when they meet HR, it's like a fast, um, oh yes, this is a match. And so the, the change or the reinvention was, you know, it was difficult for me to think that I was going to service individuals versus service corporations. And I had to um, let go of this idea of being at the service of companies to really um, become at the service of client. And, but, you know, it could be so a type of client, but it could also be a way of looking. So for example, I see a lot of uh, candidates that sometimes um, have accumulated information, uh, knowledge, uh, experiences, and now don't know which 
part uh, to which direction to take, maybe if they're the, a change in their career. And here I would offer, I often offer the question, you know, what could you let go? What served you but is no longer uh, of interest, is no longer uh, needed for your career or, or that you don't have fun with anymore? And I think this is very um, challenging because, uh, you know, with everything that served us, we have a kind of a sentimental attachment to things. And so, you know, like this perfect sweater that, uh, you know, you uh, loved and that was so warm and cozy, but, you know, maybe it has a moth hole or maybe it has, you know, it's no longer, um, you know, in, in fashion or whatnot. So, one thing is to keep things that serve you, but it's another to let go of things that do not uh, help you go, especially if you need to go in orbit. So in careers, it's very important um, to, if you will, do a Marie Kondo uh, and really realize what you need to keep and what you are ready to part with. Um, Things are accelerating extremely fast um, these days. And I think it's very important to realize that, you know, we are more and more entering a time where we learn as we uh, work. Um, and there is no learning at school and then applying. You, we are in beta mode, beta testing all the time. And the idea of, you know, letting go of things that, used to be true for us or might have helped us in the, in the past is actually uh, allowing a little bit of space in our way of looking at things in um in our mindset and with that space can come uh more opportunities more new ways of looking at life at work and so in in essence, what I would like to say is that if you've reached 20, 15, 20 years of career and you have a resume um, and you're reciting your resume when you go to interviews, I would say there, there might be a part that you no longer need to share. Um, you can leave it on your resume, obviously, because people might be interested to, to know about it, might also ask you about it. But if you go in an interview you don't need to start from the beginning of the story. You can really start from where you are now, where you've been for the past five years, maybe 10 years if you want. But I would say that's, um, you know, that, that's plenty. And really the idea is that you want to convey not only where you are at now, but also where you potentially are going. And in an interview, it's very important to be able to tell your story showing your potential, showing not only what you've done, you know, and what, how you do it, but also where you aim to go. What is your direction? And that's very important because companies hire candidates who can evolve, who can uh, grow, become something new. The business is changing so much. Uh, obviously, you know, like with COVID, all of a sudden we had to reinvent uh, working from home, working different ways. And so we cannot predict anymore um, a person's tra trajectory in uh, a company. And so clients will want adaptable uh, candidates, people who can uh, say yes and, and so who can reinvent, who are not really too 
uh, encumbered by large, um, you know, um, baggages of work and things of what used to be done. So um, again, think of the spaceship there as it goes when it hits the atmosphere. At some point, the spaceship lets go of its tank engine because it's too heavy and empty. And so then it can fire another set of engines and go into orbit. And who doesn't want to be in orbit if you're a spaceship, right? So this is um, the analogy uh, that um, served me and that I wanted to share with you today. Thank you. So I'm going to talk about a separate subject about a career, but about the silent retreat I went to because I'm hearing so, I'm being asked so many questions that I think a lot of people are curious and might want to replicate the experience. Um, so I'm gonna give you some context. I was speaking with a friend who recommended um, that I go to a, a silent retreat. Uh, it's a friend I speak with about uh, spirituality and all things um, a bit um, more personal about the, the deeper meaning of life. <clears throat> And he's an older gentleman. And he said, you should uh, definitely try. And I said, I wanted to try Vipassana for a long time, but it was always closed. And he said, but there's other types of silent retreat where you just go and you walk in the unknown. I was like, okay. So he said, Google, there's plenty of state and all types of um, flavors you want. So I Googled and in fact, there are quite a few upstate. Um, and I chose one called the Monastery of Bethlehem, which is in Livingston Manor. Uh, and these are a monastery of sisters that choose um, for their whole lifetime, or as long as they stay sisters, to live in silence, to live in solitude, because they only meet uh, all together um, in the morning and in the evening for church to sing together but they only have one meal a week together the rest of the time they eat their meals separately in their own um, quarter individual quarters they can't hear their neighbors they're in total silence so they've dedicated their life to silence and i called the place and they said well um we're closing in uh, a week or 10 days, you can try to come before. And so I jumped on the occasion, or I think the occasion jumped on me, I don't know which one. And so I signed up. And last Thursday, I um, drove and I arrived at the monastery of Bethlehem uh, by car, which is two hours of New York, and um, came with no computer, no phone. Well, I had my phone, but there's no service, there's no Wi Fi. Uh, and no books. I did bring a Kindle just in case, um, and um, and nothing to do. Uh, and you're assigned to a little cabin. It's a little uh, cabin. There's seven of them, and you enter. And there's a space for dedicated for your lunch area. There's a single bed. Then there's a small um, kitchen area and a bathroom. And the upper floor. There's a stair in that little cabin, and the top floor is almost like a like a small church in a way where you have two icons uh, and a bible and a place to pray i didn't realize that it was really uh, that spiritual because what my thought process which was very naive and um yeah i was very naive um 
and is that I was going to do a silent retreat was basically to be without noise for a certain amount of time. And so I thought silence was basically the absence of noise. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do a silent retreat because I'm leaving out of New York, not hearing any more of the cars and traffic and et cetera, and uh, no phone. And I'm going to do a detox of my phone and, you know, being busy, busy. And that's what I thought it was. And so the, the image I have is that basically it was me saying that silence is the absence of noise is like telling you that the ocean is the absence of land, right? They're two separate things. And of course, the ocean is not described by saying it's the absence of land. So I walked in on Thursday and I look at this very sparse place. Plus it was minus 20 degrees Celsius. So really freakingly cold. Nothing was, nature was frozen. I did not uh, see a soul. You go and pick up your lunch in another little house. Um, and you have notes if you want to leave a note or change anything. And um, there is the possibility to go to church um, in the morning at 7.45 and the evening at 5.45 to hear the sister sing. Uh, you're in silence. And the church is two miles away from your little cabin. So the seven little cabins are by themselves uh, facing a beautiful lake, So which was entirely frozen. Nature was under a blanket of uh, ice. And so there was no noise, there were no birds, there were no, no distraction. And so I arrived in this little cabin and uh, I, you know, relaxed on the bed and started wondering what I was doing there. And I did take a little nap because <clears throat> I had been driving and woke up super early. And then, and then basically nothing. I started doing nothing. I went for little walks and reflecting and um i think the first day was maybe the most challenging one because i was a bit disoriented almost like if i was dizzy of not being doing anything but i knew i was there not to do so i was just okay i take it you know a moment and uh needless to say that uh, after the church you come back and you can go to bed very early because it's pitch black. It was not night at 7 p.m. There's nothing to do. So you get a full night's sleep. That's great. And the next day, I floated into silence. So the same way silence is, you know, I can compare silence to an ocean. Basically, I dipped my toe. I dipped a bit my toe and I stayed in the water, walking in the shallow waters of silence um, for three days. At the second night, I had a dream that I was scrolling on Instagram and I dreamt of one particular person uh, that hopefully will, will listen to this, but that is an active, very active poster. Like he posts on everything, every miniature of his life is posted. And so maybe it was, you know, withdrawal symptoms that I was, um, my brain was looking for his, his posts. Um, but it was very interesting because I think for the first time I was able to really 
B for three straight days or two and a half because it's you know the ebb and flow of it um, to be and not to be doing and my mind went really blank uh, my heart was very calm there was no fears it was almost like if um, I had just landed on a fluffy cloud and I was welcomed by the silence so I speak of it because it almost was like if I had met an entity or that silence was an entity um, that was very welcoming and gentle and there all the time. It's just, I had been fidgeting and moving and doing things and uh, huffing and puffing and creating uh, drama or creating energy or creating stuff, you know, like moving air, much to do about nothing. Uh, one could say, and um, and when I was not, I was totally welcome and totally relaxed. And so it was very paradoxical because I have spent a lot of time working, and I'm a you know I'm a recruiter, I'm a career coach. So basically, work is my primary. Um, focus, um, even as work. I mean, some people, they work as, I don't know, um, photographer, the photography, you know, as a, I work on work. I mean, work is my main uh, topic. So it's not like I can avoid it. I've made it my main topic. And there um, I found a immense um, space that was very, very soft and um, to my soul. So it, it, it started, I thought it was going to be stressed and I thought I was just going to have a detox from my phone and everything. And in fact, it was exactly the opposite that happened. All of a sudden, it's like my whole body relaxed, relaxed, relaxed. I was so happy. So like my whole nervous system was not nervous anymore. It was just my system was there being and extremely happy. And uh, I cannot tell you how much it felt like things were just happening by themselves. There was no major aha moment, no uh, incredible um, understanding of life, no, you know, God does, you know, manifesting itself. Um, and I have done, for those who know me, um, quite a few psychedelic journeys. So I'm a psychonaut. I enjoy that. I'm um, not only enjoy that, I mean, I, I take them, I, I do it um, very regularly um, each year and, uh, and especially focus on my spirituality. So it's something that I'm, um, I love to spend time on. And this was exactly the opposite. There was no drugs, no, um, and I'm talking no drugs, no good drugs, uh, but nothing to distract me. It was entirely sober work in solitude, in silence. And it was one of the most um, beautiful times um, I could experience, um, despite the freak, uh, freezing cold. Um, nature was gorgeous. I was able to, to do walks. Um, and I highly recommend it. It was almost like now I can, I know it's there.
so a friend asked me today, well, I didn't want to call you because it's, you know, you're back in New York and you might have heard um, so much noise. I didn't want to distract you, but it's, uh, I just know it's there. Like I've tasted it and I know it's there for me. So I'm not worried about not having it or it disappearing because I know it just exists. I, I, I got a taste of it. So I highly encourage anyone who feels moved or compelled. Um, the, at the monastery of Bethlehem, there's many more, there's the Zen places, but I think this place is quite special because these sisters have dedicated their life to silence. So obviously, you know, they're pros on the subject um, and nobody to assist you. There's absolutely no structure. I think that there was also that fear of the freedom and what to do with my time. And in fact, um, I don't know, not much. You you eat, you go on walk, you think, you reflect, um, and you just learn to be, or at least in my case, I was learning to be undistracted. And I think they have created a, a quite a wonderful and unique space. Um, they say that it's a four-day minimum and an eight-day maximum. <clears throat> um, but you can start and, you know, can start with four days and see if, uh, if it works. You can always take your car and, and run home if that's not ready. Um, but I have a new reverence for silence and, um, um, yep, I'm, I'll be, I'll be going back. Definitely. Thank you for listening.